Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ruth, in the Old Testament. Book of Ruth, we have been studying this short story There is so much packed into this that is practical in the application for our lives today. If if you're using the Bibles there in the chair, we are on page 186. Page 186, coming to the end of the, the third chapter and looking at this story. Up to this point, we have seen that Naomi and her husband moved to the country of Moab because of a famine there her husband dies her sons marry ladies from that country and then both sons die the famine ends so Naomi is going to come back to Bethlehem to Israel and encourages her daughters-in-law to stay where they are but Ruth refuses to she comes back with her ends up going to work in the field for a gentleman uh, and works through the harvest season and the Lord provides and then earlier in this chapter under Naomi's direction uh, Ruth goes to the the threshing floor and in essence proposes to Boaz And because of the culture of that day, as a near kinsman, he can marry her, but there's somebody closer, and so he needs to deal with that first. And so now Ruth has come home, told Naomi what is going on, and at this point, Naomi tells her to just sit still and wait and see how it turns out. So my sermon title this morning is Sit Still and Rest. Now, as I thought about it, I thought that's probably a very appropriate title for the fifth Sunday, when we have the kids in with us. In fact, it's a phrase I used uh, more than once on Friday evening at our elementary program as I had one grandchild sitting on my lap and I'm sitting next to another one and telling them to sit still. Saying, sit still, there's only two songs left. Now, I picked the title before the program and it really was for a different purpose. I've actually taken it from this verse, what will be our theme for today, the text for today, Ruth 3 verse 18 where Naomi tells Ruth sit still and wait and see how things turn out the context of this passage was not about corralling grandkids but really giving spiritual comfort that there is an ability for believers to trust the Lord but there are times that I think all of us really need to be told or tell ourselves sit still and see what God is going to do wait upon the Lord and see what he will do you know that's hard for us in our culture we live in a busy active culture in fact people don't know how to sit still and and often they don't want to sit still that even if they know it they they really are not comfortable with it an article in a recent issue of the Harvard Business Review began this way once upon a time leisure was a sign of prestige Today, that idea has been turned on its head. Busyness is the new status symbol. Busy people are considered important and impressive. The harder we work to achieve something, the more we value it. And most of us hate to be idle. 
In fact, there's, there's actually a term that's been developed that's called effort justification. And it isn't just the desire to be busy. Psychologist Matthew Killingsworth said this, when people are spending time inside their own heads, they are markedly less happy. People don't want to be alone with their thoughts. In fact, an article in Science Magazine from almost 10 years ago, in July 3rd of 2014, said, indicated that a behavioral study found that people would rather be shocked by electricity than be left alone with their own thoughts. So they put people in a room, they put them in a lab, they said, we're going to leave you here for 15 minutes. There was a button they could push, and if they pushed it, they would get shocked electrically, and, and they were allowed to just sit there and think. They gave one group just the freedom to think about anything, the other, they gave them some direction. Think about going out to eat, think about different to topics, and they found that both groups were less happy with their own thoughts. In fact, in their study, when they left them in that lab room for 15 minutes, 67% of men and 25% of women chose to inflict the shock of electricity on themselves rather than sit quietly and think. Now, I, I wondered why for men it was so much higher. If it wasn't, let's see how this happens. But I thought it was interesting. because, And, and when you understand that even when our bodies are physically sitting, how often are our minds still churning? We could actually be sitting still. You can be sitting still this morning, and yet your mind is running. And what I want us to consider from this passage is God's steadfast love allows those who know Him personally to rest confidently in Him. That when you have that personal relationship with the Lord, that you can rest confidently in Him. If you have your Bibles open, I want us to read the beginning of chapter 3 in the book of Ruth, and then the end of it. That we won't read the whole chapter, but to see the contrast and get the comparison. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. Ruth 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Shall I not seek security, or rest is the idea there, for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman, women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. Now drop down to verse 16. It says, And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Let's pray together. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that we would truly understand the comfort, the rest, the confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. We pray that we would find rest personally. And if there's one with us that does know, not know that eternal rest of trusting in Christ alone, that you would work in their hearts 
for your glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In these verses, it's interesting because the advice that we find Naomi giving at the end of the book, of this chapter, is really the opposite of what she said at the beginning of the chapter. As the chapter opened, Naomi tells Ruth, look, wash up, get some perfume, put on your nice clothes, and go to the threshing floor where Boaz will be working. Now in verse 18, she tells her, sit still and wait until she learns how the situation resolves. And both admonitions are appropriate in the context. That Ruth has done what she can, and now she has to trust. And, and really, it's an interesting passage because consider what is at stake here. If you've been with us as we've been looking at this, this book, you, you know that this is really her future, her destiny, her marriage that is being discussed. And, and to be able to just sit and wait is rather difficult. You know, it wasn't like she's just waiting to see what kind of pizza somebody brings home. It's, which husband is she going to end up with? Boaz has said, I am willing to do the duty of the kinsman redeemer. The goel is the, the Hebrew word there. And we've talked about that and the responsibilities within that culture. It says, but there's a nearer relative that actually has first opportunity. And Ruth has asked Boaz to fulfill that role. And now Boaz has said, I'm willing, but we have to see what the other person says. How do you just rest with that? Determining who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. I mean, to say sit still and wait is easier said than done. And yet, isn't that the case for us many times spiritually? Oh, we know God's in control. He knows the future. He knows our situation. He knows our health needs, our finances, our family, our children. And yet it's difficult to rest. And even when we think we're doing it on the outside, often our minds are running. It's spinning. And to wait to, to learn, and yet Ruth is able to do that. How can she sit still when her future hangs in the balance? Because God's steadfast love allows those who know him personally to rest confidently in him. And I want us to see that, that theme from this verse this morning, from, from verse 18. The first thing that we see is that Ruth displayed a personal calmness. There's a, there is a, a characteristic in her life that, that she, as an individual, was a diligent person. Ruth, is, if, you've, if you've read the story, is not passive. We find her described as a person who's active. She took initiative when they come back to Bethlehem and says, let me go to the field, let me work. And then she worked hard. When Boaz sees her, one of his workmen says, yeah, she's been working all day and just took a brief break. But she's been working hard. She had that, that reputation in the community of a person of diligence who took care of her mother-in-law. And now she's willing to wait. And I think, again, it shows the humility of Ruth that's really displayed in this response of willing to trust the Lord and trust Boaz in this situation. And, and I would say it's interesting from a literary perspective. As I've mentioned, Ruth is a short story. It, it brings us to different points of a climax, and we're wondering what happens if we don't know the story. But what's interesting is this statement about Ruth at the end of chapter 3 is really the last point where she is a primary character in the story. 
The story's going to continue in chapter 4, and we'll look at that. But she's, she's really lit, lit a fire under Boaz. He's now moving forward, and, and her visibility is going to diminish in the book. Obviously, she's part of the story, and as you read the story, and she ends up marrying Boaz and has a child, but, but the focus becomes on Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. The, wor the word redeem means to buy back. The Redeemer has to pay a price to purchase in the culture. And what's going to be brought up is, is there had been a piece of property that Elimelech had to sell because of the, the famine, because of their poverty. And Boaz, or the kinsman Redeemer, will buy back that property. And in the process of purchasing the property, also has the responsibility of continuing the family line, which means marrying Ruth. And so the job of the Redeemer is to purchase. To purchase the property, to purchase an individual who had been sold into slavery. And Boaz is going to be that kinsman Redeemer. The other prominent character in chapter 4 is going to be Naomi. And she seems to have more of an active role than Ruth. Ruth has the child, but in chapter 4, verse 17, the, the women of Bethlehem announce there is a son born to Naomi. And so the, the place of Ruth is really one that is, she's now moving into a more minor role. And yet how can she rest with all that's going on? And what we see is really an active resting when she is out of control. It's not like Naomi said, okay, sit still and, and wait and see what happens. And she's just pacing the house. No, there is actually a rest of, and, and it's in areas where Ruth is not in control. There are a number of things that Ruth cannot control that could raise what-if questions. The first one is, she's not in control of the circumstances. Her entire life situation was, was now in things that she cannot control. What will the other kinsman redeemer say? What will the nearer kinsman say? What will the city leaders say? Because Boaz is going to gather them. This is going to be a legal situation. And she has no control. She's in this position because of situations she couldn't control. She couldn't control the famine. She couldn't control the death of her husband. She came back with Naomi. She didn't, get, she didn't control who owned the field that she worked in. There's a lot of circumstances out of her control. She can't control the people around her. I mean, think of the people that have an element of control in Ruth's life at this point. She doesn't know how the, the relative will respond. He hasn't even appeared in the story yet. She doesn't know how the city re officials will react. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where other people have messed up your plans? I mean, if you have children, you don't know how that goes. How many times in discipline you're dealing with a child and say, why did you do that? They did this. They said, they did. it's other people. We can't control them. We can't control what they do, what they say. And, and so we have to be willing to trust God. And I think it's interesting. Ruth cannot actually control her own security, her future, the future security. Here's a person who can be, again, physically sitting and wondering what happens here. You know, what happens if this goes on? And all the what-ifs that could come up that are completely beyond our control. And yet, how many times do we worry about things that we can't control, but God can? 
The truth is, if Ruth were anxious, if there was a lot of anxiety going on, it's still not going to change any of her circumstances. It's not going to change how other people respond. And, and she has obeyed up to this point. Now she can trust. We, we sing trust and obey. Well, for her, it's been obey and now trust. And she needed to sit still and rest. I would encourage you, invite you to turn over to Psalm 46 with me. There, there's a couple of verses in Psalm 46 that, that the whole th- emphasis of this psalm is on trusting God. And the what-ifs that come up in this passage. In Psalm 46, it's, it's God is a refuge for people. And it's in situations that are out of our control. It begins in verse 1, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. What an amazing statement. God is very present when trouble comes. God is abundantly available. Now, how many times do we we try to get help in situations and, and it's not very available? Have you ever called customer service for some company? You have a problem, you need help, and what do you get? A recording that tells you your call is very important to them. Well, then answer the phone. <laughs> if you'll stay on the line, we'll be with you shortly. 45 minutes is not shortly on, hang, on hold. And yet we, we actually get used to that in our culture. God is a very present help. He is trustworthy. He is there. When you come to Him in prayer, you don't get put on hold. And so we need to come to Him. Call upon me and I will answer you. And we don't have to get in line, well, I'm sorry, your prayer doesn't, you know, it didn't come in soon enough. There are 35 people in front of you. Please wait. No, God is a very present help in the time of trouble. And, and we tell our children, you can trust God with your problems. Do our children see in us our confidence in God? Do we evidence that we are trusting God with our problems? Say, yeah, but my, my problems are big people problems. There's our, our childlike problems. And they're both the same to God. The difference for us is we often have the resources to deal with their problems. God has the resources to to deal with your problems. And He will. So He says, call upon me. He's findable. He's a very present help in the time. And so all the what-ifs do not have to put us into a panic. I mean, there are a lot of what-ifs that are now listed in this, this psalm that we would have no control over. It says, therefore, we will not fear, verse 2, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. These are pretty climatic events. Though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with with its swelling. When there's a hurricane, when there's an earthquake, when there are these types of things, God can still handle it. What if the earth be removed? What if the mountains are carried into the sea? What if the waters roar and are troubled? What if the mountains shake? These natural calamities. And then then what comes later in the psalm is political unrest. Nations rage. Kingdoms are overthrown. There are wars. There, There are problems. And God is in control of all of it. 
God is our refuge. So we can trust Him. Rest comes as you commit your ways to the Lord. It may not be the natural calamities, but what about family problems? What, what if my child doesn't do this? What if, what if they go somewhere? What if something happens? Yes, we need to be wise. Yes, we need to work. Ruth had done her part. But when we've been faithful, we need to cast our cares upon the Lord. Trust Him because He cares for us. Are we willing to do that? Ruth displayed a personal calmness even when she wasn't in control. The second thing, though, I want us to see is that Boaz demonstrated a practical commitment. It says, for the man will not rest until he's concluded the matter this day. Naomi has now directed Ruth's focus and her focus to Boaz. She saw him as a person who was trustworthy, as a man who, who Ruth could put her trust in and she was trusted because he would be active. That, that his, her activity is not going to change things, but Boaz has a responsibility. You know, sometimes our lack of ability to sit really complicates the situation. We try to fix it. We try to do it rather than allowing God to work or other people to do their part. And, and then once we get meddling in it, it rather complicates it. Now there's more to deal with when we really should have just sat still and waited. You know, it, that's, that's hard because we want to fix things. We want to fix things. We want to fix people. We need to be careful that we do our part, but that we focus on fixing us before God. You know, that we, you know, we want to fix people. And we've talked about, you know, Naomi's gone from, from being bitter and, and now she's wanting to fix Ruth up. Well, sometimes people do that. I mentioned earlier, we talked about this. Both, both marriage and singleness are gifts from God. And we can encourage and pray, but we need to be careful that we don't meddle in a way that actually messes things up. And we have a lot of single individuals with a college, with a seminary, in, in our culture today. And, and yes, we like to help at times, but understand God's call is on, on a person, and that may not be what you have in mind. And as I mentioned, the human marriage is not the eternal state of any person. Mature manhood and womanhood, and those are the only two biblical options, are not dependent on being married. And so we need to consider that. We've, we've seen how, how Ruth and Boaz in chapter 2 are, are individuals of character. There's foundational character in their relationship. We saw that in chapter 3. But we also see it now, especially in Boaz. We considered last week that, that really concluded with the foundational characteristic was that of dependability. To be dependable. And that is Boaz. He is a man of dependability. We, he, and if we will develop that, to be dependable, the greatest ability is dependability. You know, for young, our young people, if you show up on time for work, you work hard, you keep your word, it's amazing how far you'll go in this culture. Because people are looking, employers are looking for people to just show up. Well, what did we see in Boaz? We, he displayed compassion. We saw this earlier when, when he, he tells Ruth that, okay, you need to go back before you can be identified. There was nothing inappropriate about the relationship that took place in chapter 3. 
But he gives her a gift of, of grain. And, and there, there may be several reasons. The, the, the gift might have been because the custom of the kinsman redeemer of the Goel was to provide. And so it was a statement of that provision. And while he was not officially in that role yet, it may have been a statement that I will provide for you. It might have been a thank you. That Naomi has, has taken initiative, that she's moved things forward in, in this, and a, a statement of thanks. You should not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. It could have been a sign of good faith. It was a pledge that he would follow through on what he was going to do. Whatever the case, it shows that, that Boaz was thinking of others. He was compassionate. A second thing we see, though, is he's determined. His determination, his commitment provides confidence. That, that Naomi says he is a man of his word. He will not rest until he takes care of this. That we would be people who keep our words. Young people, boys and girls, are you a person who when your parents give you something to do and you say you'll do it, you keep your word? You know, whether it's feed the dog or empty the trash or take out the, you know, clean your room. Well, that may be a big job. Can they count on you? Or does it have to be over and over and over again? Be a person who's dependable. And then as parents, that we would also be dependable. When we give our word to our children, do we follow through? We, we see in Boaz that this is a man who, he's determined this is going to happen. And I think a third thing we see in him is he's a man of wisdom. We're not going to get to it this morning, but in chapter 4, when he approaches this other relative, it's interesting to see how he does it. There's a lot of wisdom in his approach, and Lord willing, we'll consider that next week. And I personally think that he didn't get much sleep the rest of that night, that he's probably pondering, okay, how am I going to go about this? How do I need to approach this? What's, what's step one? What's step two? You know, because he wants to marry Ruth, but he also wants to be above board. But he's a man of wisdom in how he approaches the subject. And I think there's a lesson for us that rest comes as you trust faithful people to be used of the Lord. Now, sometimes that's difficult for us because we want to be in control. And, and often it's, frankly, it's our pride because prideful people are untrusting people. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. We want to be the one who directs things. But are we willing to trust others? You know, are, are, we, are we trustworthy ourselves? You know, sometimes we're careful because people have let us down. And, and we have to be cautious. And we realize people will fail us. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't develop a spirit of being trusting and trustworthy. That we need to trust others. And part of that then is in trusting God. And that's the third thing that I want us to see, that God directed with providential control. Throughout this entire story, we see the hand of God. We see this, I think, in Naomi's now trusting the Boaz that God is going to work. We can't miss that. No, Naomi said, he's a relative. He's one who can fill that, that need as a kinsman redeemer. And throughout this story, we see God overruling the events to bring a love and security to those who are trusting him. But the truth is, it didn't always seem that way. 
Naomi didn't get that in chapter 1. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She complained, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She said, he, I went out full. He brought me back empty. He's testified against me. He's afflicted me. Those are the four accusations she makes in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And yet in all of that, the Almighty was also all-loving and bringing her life to a place where not only is she going to be provided for with a kinsman redeemer, the rest of us will be provided for with a redeemer. Because Jesus Christ is of the lineage of Ruth. And God used the ordinary affairs of everyday life to accomplish his purpose. And he does it in your life and in my life. And when we look back, we can see how God has worked. I mentioned uh, several weeks ago, providence needs to be read backwards. We don't always see what God is doing at the moment. And sometimes we wonder, Lord, what are you doing? But we know that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so God's using these ordinary affairs, the events that, uh, that appear like mere coincidences, the coincidence that, that Ruth just happened to go to the field that belonged to Boaz. And Boaz just happened to be there and show up when Ruth was working. He happened to notice her. He happened to be a relative. See, even the deaths that took place in Moab, God was not distant. God was working. God's bringing them to a place of his abundant mercy. So this statement ought to point us to trust in, in the hidden hand of God, that we wait on the Lord. And how do we do that? First of all, we do it in an active faith. Resting in God is not some false passivity or inactivity. Well, God will just have to take care of it. No, we've already seen Ruth has done her part. Now she has to trust someone else to redeem her. Boaz has a job to complete. And he would not rest, but Ruth has to wait. Saving faith is an active faith. It is a trust in the abundant provision that God has made available in Jesus Christ. Yes, faith is resting in the finished work of Christ alone. It's trusting Him that the work is finished. What is that work? Redemption. To buy us back. You know, too many people today think that they have to help the Redeemer. That, that he, he doesn't have enough capital. That we somehow have to do something to help him with this task. You know, some people say, well, you know, okay, but I have to be baptized to wash away sin. And if I get baptized, that will help me know the Lord. That will get me saved. I need to join a church. I need to do good works. And, and if I do enough good works, and if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I can help the Redeemer. No, Romans 10 tells us in verse 2, it speaks of people who have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so instead, they are seeking to establish their own righteousness. They are working to be their own Redeemers. And so it goes on and says, you must submit to the righteous work of God. For Christ is the end of the law of, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus said, it is finished. Now, baptism is a step of obedience. It's a public display of what has happened in the heart. But it doesn't save us. 
Church membership is, is part of obedience. It's, it's uniting with the family. It's a public statement that I want to be part of that family. I want to be on that team. You know, sometimes people want to play the game, but they don't want to wear the uniform. No, that's what membership is. It's like we're committing to one another. We're part of that. Good works are the evidence that we're, seen, that we're saved, but they don't save us. And sometimes we say, well, I have to work for my salvation. No, you cannot save yourself. Now, well, how can I be actively at rest? You know, I have never personally been around true quicksand. But I hear that if you get stuck in quicksand, the more you struggle, the more you sink. Now, now I have been in situations where I've gotten stuck in mud that I could not get out of. I remember once when I was about five or six years old, I mean, I can't imagine a five or six-year-old getting in mud. Um, but it happened. And I still remember I, I got stuck in the mud and I could not get out. And I'm calling for help. And, and, it, it, and I'm calling and calling and calling. And finally, my dad hears me and comes and has to get in a position to lift me out of that mud. I lost a boot in the process, but I got free. And I remember that situation. You know, Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock and established my steps. You know, some people try to save themselves. Well, if I'm doing this, it's like you're in quicksand, and the more you work, the more you're sinking. Stop trying to save yourself and trust the true Redeemer. Active faith cries for help. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, was what the publican cried. But it doesn't earn or work for its salvation. It receives the work that was done by the Redeemer. It is finished. The more you struggle to free yourself, the more it's going to get worse. When Jesus cried, it is finished, he had fulfilled the law by his righteous life. So it's the righteousness of Christ. And he had paid the penalty for sin by the shedding of his blood, by his obedient death. It's his perfect life and righteous, his blood. Jesus, thy blood and righteous life. And it takes both. The one is the active obedience, the one is the passive obedience. Both are necessary. And so we, at choir, the, sang the song at Easter, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, for me a full atonement made and everlasting ransom paid. The price of redemption. Sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. They are under the blood. They're gone when we have trusted Jesus Christ. God's redeeming work is done. Hallelujah. And so there's an active faith. Secondly, it's with a confident patience. Ruth is waiting, but there's an expectation that Boaz will do what he said he will do. No, Naomi is confident. She said, this man will not rest until he's concluded the matter today. He's going to take care of it. When you come to Christ in saving faith, you can be confident that He will do what He has promised. He who has begun a good work in you will continue it until it's complete. So when you face trials, you can patiently see how God is going to work 
but not wonder if God will work. He will. He's promised it. So Ruth is waiting to see how it will work out. How will the kinsman redeemer, how will this play out? But she knew it would happen. Boaz has said, if, if he doesn't do it, I will do it. And so there was that confidence. You know, when you've trusted Christ alone, you are secure that his work is finished. That he will accomplish what he has said. And, and I, I think it's worth noting in the story, Boaz was an accidental redeemer. He didn't plan to be the redeemer. He was willing, but he didn't pursue it. Ruth actually came to him. He, he did not plan to be the redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. He was just going out to the field. But he was a relative of Elimelech. Jesus Christ is not only willing, he is our deliberate redeemer. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and following, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That because he is our high priest and he has fulfilled the law, he can sit down. In the Old Testament, the, the priest didn't sit down because he had to make more sacrifices. But because Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes, it is finished. So you can trust and wait on the Lord with a confident patience. The third thing is that it's in humility. We wait on the Lord in humility. And I've mentioned this already, but we see it in Ruth. There's a submission and a surrender. She is willing to trust Boaz. She's obeying what Naomi has said. She's listened to her mother-in-law. She's, she's not running out to help Boaz, to stand at the gate and say, well, you know, let me, let me help in this. And neither does she fret that he won't follow through. You know, this was a sincere offer. When Boaz said that he wanted to marry Ruth, did he mean it? Was he sincere? Absolutely. When Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary and labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, did he mean it? Absolutely. So have you come? Active faith comes. It doesn't sit back and say, well, I don't know if he really meant it. No, he did. But you have to humble yourself. You have to cast your cares upon him and then wait upon the Lord. So Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. You know, I think sometimes God does have to say that to us, like I said to my grandchildren. Sit still. It's almost over. Sit still. God has it. It's almost there. Trust Him. And so Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me. Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. Or Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When you wait on the Lord, we find the fourth thing is you will have renewed strength. Wait on the Lord, and he will strengthen your heart. Or as Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So what do you need to have that renewal? What do you need to have your strength renewed? Well, number one, you have to have a Redeemer. You can't just have religion. You need a Savior. 
You need a relationship with the Father through the Son alone. He is the Redeemer. Number two, you need to claim the promises of God given in His Word. You need the Scripture. You know, one of the reasons we often fret, one of the reasons I often fret is I'm not allowing God's Word to influence my thinking. If you're not in God's Word, if you're not understanding His promises, you're going to be in turmoil. You need to know the one who has made those promises and what he has promised. You need to be a person who lives by biblical principle. You need structure in your life. You can't just go as, as a, the wind that blows. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. There needs to be some stability, some structure that comes by committing to serve the Lord and honor Him. And you need to pray. You need to be a person of supplication. This is one of the reasons we have an all-church prayer meeting. Because prayer actually takes sitting still. And the truth is, that's one of the reasons we struggle to come to an all-church prayer meeting. Oh, I got so many other things that I need to do. Be still and wait. We do it one hour a month. And there is strength in coming together. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've come and said, I need to do this, and, and my mind is running, I've got to do this, I've got this going on. Okay, we've got all church prayer meeting, obviously I need to be here, I'm the pastor. And I walk out of that, and my heart has been strengthened. My soul has been calmed by praying with my church family. And to hear you pouring out your hearts to the Lord. We invite you to come. Because those who know Him personally can trust Him confidently. And we can pray with one another in that area. Because what we see is rest comes as you meditate on the character of God. To understand who God is. That He is the, the God who is immortal, invisible, and yet accessible. Your greatest comfort in great trials is your great God. So God's steadfast love allows those who know Him to personally rest confidently in Him. You need God to tell you this morning, sit still and rest. Do your part and then trust Him to do His. He is faithful. Maybe that means trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not your works, not your religion, not these other things, but Christ alone. Because that's where the rest begins. That I know that I am secure in Christ. Let's pray together.